What a manic Monday it has been. Microsoft and Sony go head-to-head in their E3 presentations, Apple reveal iOS 7, OS X Mavericks and a selection of hardware, and before all of this, Microsoft reveals Windows 8.1. We discuss all of these points and more in James Woodcock's Game and Gadget podcast. Before I play back the recording, please note that due to a technical problem, my side of the recording was not up to the usual high standard I would expect. However, the debate was so interesting and with quite a bit of audio editing on my part, I decided to release regardless, so I hope you can still enjoy all of these wonderful discussions. Hello everyone and welcome to the second Game and Gadget podcast. For this episode, we are covering the recent E3 announcements from Microsoft, Sony and Nintendo, Windows 8.1 and Apple's WWDC event. I'm James Woodcock, your host, and my website, jameswoodcock.co.uk, is where you can stream and download all of my audio and video podcasts. Please welcome Matt Baxter-Reynolds, a mobile software development consultant and technology sociologist based in the UK who blogs for ZDNet. Hello. Hi. And I believe you've also got a book in the pipeline. I do. I've got... um... Yes, I've got a couple of books in the pipeline. One on developing um, Windows Store apps coming out on O'Reilly uh, next month. And another book called Death of the PC, which is coming out in a couple of uh, months' time about um, what exactly is post-PC and why it is a problem, why it isn't a problem, and that sort of thing. Oh, blimey. Mm. I'm glad I asked, you see. Um, yeah. Chris Brandrick, a freelance technology writer currently at Tech Hive and Giga Ohm. Hiya. So, did Microsoft's E3 show redeem themselves for their earlier entertainment-focused Xbox One reveal presentation? It's hard to say. I mean, the games were definitely there, but I think they really had a dark cloud over them from their previous event um, with the DRM stuff and the use game policies. I think that kind of dominated the agenda. And I think we kind of knew what to expect games-wise. And although there's some decent surprises, I think that was kind of the main focus for most people. It was a big distraction, wasn't it? Even though they had game after game after game with no breaks, lots of joyous explosions and gunfire, it was always in the back of our mind, wasn't it still? Yeah, um, and obviously they weren't going to address it on stage. That would just be disaster. But um, yeah, it was underlying throughout. Um, But again, one of the themes, I don't know if it's just me, but I was watching WWDC as well at the same time, so I, I had um, the Microsoft presser on on one screen and on the other. And every time I, I looked over to the Microsoft conference, it was just a man with a gun, a man with a gun, a man with a gun. It was a running theme, and that seems to be said there as well. I mean, I know shooters sell, but... Well, they do indeed sell, but uh, I think when we look at it overall, the, at least from my perception, the presentation was actually really impressive. There was a lot there, there was a lot shown, a good bit of gameplay was detailed, and compared to the PlayStation 4 presentation, which we'll come on to later, I think it didn't drag out so long. It was a fairly tight 90 minutes of information and presentation. What about you, Matthew? What did you think to it all? Um, I I think it was interesting. I mean, I know this is a 
gaming and technology podcast, but my thing is not really gaming. Um, so I spent much more time watching uh, what was happening with WWDC. And, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's interesting. I think Microsoft's got some challenges around uh, Xbox One and exactly what the living room means and how important gaming is in terms of how um, social structures happen in the family these days. And those sorts of sorts of points. I think it was interesting that Sony were coming out much more classical and old school with the, actually, this is your game and you own it. And I know that you guys were talking about some DRM stuff before we came on online. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's interesting and incremental, but I, I wonder how important it is in, in sort of my area, which is sort of looking at, at how technology changes people. Is it, is it just too much of a, is gaming consoles too much of a small specialized thing? Um, as opposed to smartphones and tablets, which sort of affects everybody. Hmm. Well, I suppose that's what Microsoft's trying to attempt to get out of, that smaller niche and into a much wider entertainment-focused sector where they've still got the gaming as part of its DNA. It's, it's kind of an odd paradigm, though, because obviously the the money, the gaming industry, like finance-wise, is, is bigger than movies and stuff, And but it's still it's this hard sell. I, I think, obviously, that's due to the pricing of it all and, and the model they've got, but... The, the shift towards the living room, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that they're moving away from just gaming when there is a lot of money in it. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what that, that says. It, it's, and it's interesting how people are talking about how um, the Xbox One, because of the fact that you've got to get all this content in from the cable providers and the cable providers won't necessarily just open that up and let the yeah. Xbox One sit in the middle of it, then it's kind of, well, how much of a dirty hack around is that? I still... Yeah. Um, I still think there's, uh, I've had people argue with me on this about Twitter before, it's one of the interesting things about why Apple don't seem to be going off the living room when everybody's saying it's quote-unquote obvious, is that actually because um, the the living room, in terms of how we look at it, is a 1950s living room, everybody comes together, everybody does the same things in that space, whether that space now physically doesn't exist in yeah. the same way that it did do. So actually... Mm. Are we now looking at house, uh, homes where um, teenagers are just hanging out in their bedrooms on uh, online doing their socialising and the parents are, are, are downstairs together but physically together but digitally separate? Is, yeah, they're kind of chasing this sort of, vision that doesn't exist, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's not like, you know, we're, we're sitting in the 50s and there's this amazing new device in the, in the corner and it's broadcasting stuff out to us. It, it's the, the way that we actually work with... Um, work with with consuming content is, is now much more interactive. Like if you're watching X Factor or Prince Got Talent or something, and it's much more fun to do that with Twitter yeah. because it, it, it folds it out of being just, just in terms of switching your mind off and watching something. It's great to switch off and veg, but then it's, um, does that really make sense? Are you going to build a product around a new way of vegging out? It seems. Yeah, hot. I think that's, part of the reason why I don't see it all kind of gelling and working together. I mean, obviously there's issues with, like you say, with getting the content. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why Apple hasn't touched it, because that in itself is, is a job with all the different mm. cable providers, all the different channels, so on and so forth from country to country. Um, that on its own is one issue, but like you said, with the uh, the kind of second screen experience, I think uh, Channel 4 are in the works of getting a new app, which is a, a complementary app to their programming. And I think that works because people are used to that now in terms of watching the telly and having something in their lap that they can interact with, whereas this Xbox One is all on one screen, and I don't, I don't see it. Especially in a living room environment, if you do have your family around, which I don't actually think is, you know, 
yeah, so it's interesting. Mm. Yeah, they're having the family round thing. I, I end up with uh, people who are based in America tend to debate that point much more than people in Europe, mm. um, which I think is is probably in, it could be nothing because it's been an interesting sociological split. Um, but yeah, and of course, there's there's what about what about emerging markets where that doesn't where that sort of hasn't happened yet? Whether the 1950s nuclear American family. Mm. didn't happen in other cultures is is well where where's the in and also i mean xbox one strikes me as and and the ps4 strike me as quite a um privileged western kind of thing whereas a lot of the interest in how in what's happening with with post pc and technology and stuff is is much more about how's it affecting um the broader world so there's another angle to it i think mm. So even with a possible 10-year life cycle for Xbox One, do you think there's any way for them to take advantage of this all-in-one nature at all? Do you think they are going in the wrong direction? I think from an American market, then there's, there's room for it, especially their sports stuff is compelling. Um, but like you say, uh, from a wider perspective, it's especially with emerging markets, well, I think it speaks volumes when they said they're, they're not going into Asia this year and Japan who knows it's just trying to find that right fit and it fits perfectly in in one sense for the American market and the, the consumer habits of because I think you know when watching sports it is a very kind of group around the telly activity but that's not that's, that's, that's not really a gaming console is it that's just a DVR but yeah mm. I think it's going to be one of those devices when we see it in the flesh during the snap features and the connect and hopefully working as well as we would expect mm. you might be more tempted then but i think just looking at the specifications and the details on a website or maybe even on the video it's mm. probably not selling it well enough um, yeah i think on a, from a technical standpoint it's impressive that it, it can do these, these these split things um going back to the original unveiling um a few few weeks back uh there was a demonstration when a man was watching uh the new star trek movie and he he snapped in i think he was to book tickets for the new one and if you're sitting there watching a, watching a film and then you think oh let's book tickets for the new one, who does that mid-film it's it's very intrusive i, I, I thought it was a bad demo well if you are going to do that you'll do that on a, you'll do that on a tablet or a phone i mean that's yeah. Um, not not interrupt your whole family and yeah yeah <laughs> I thought it was a bad demo yeah there were, there were quite a few bad demos actually showing the entertainment features no doubt uh, I think there are definite uses for the technology I mean particularly when you're waiting for a, a multiplayer session to begin which can mm. be quite prolonged in certain titles to yeah. be able to switch to TV and maybe snap part of the game and see how long you've got to wait just to fill in those little gaps might be quite interesting. A nice yeah. little addition. Also having more statistics on the side while you're watching a live TV event. I can see that being quite informative. And not just a person with a tablet or phone can enjoy that information. The whole family, if they so wish, can. So there is advantages to having it on a big display. Mm. I just Like you say, I don't think the demos really portrayed how this could best be used. Yeah which is extremely important when you're trying to get the message over its usefulness. Yeah, another thing not to forget as well is, is the integration of smart glass with that. Um, I don't know if this is, this is possible, but if you had a TV show on, like, I don't know, Britain's Got Talent, and you have a 
a Twitter stream snapped onto the side of the screen so everybody could see it. But then on your smart glass, you can reply to them. That would be a nice kind of use case for it, I'd imagine. But again, it's if you can do that. And I'm sure, but I'm sure you could. Yeah. I mean, maybe at this point, Microsoft aren't 100% sure of what is possible. I mean, really, it comes up to developers, and uh, I don't know how open this like app environment is going to be for Xbox One, because that hasn't really been explained either. Mm. Is there going to be a nice Twitter social feed by Twitter themselves, which smart class can use? I can imagine that being a really fairly simple thing to set up. Yeah, but because that, is that I mean, going yeah. to be something that's possible as far as is Twitter going to be able to do all that? Yeah, because from a personal point, I mean, I I very much enjoy using Twitter while watching live TV. I mean, for the for the Apprentice, it, it's it's great um, and things like that. So being able to have that up on the screen would be nice. But again, it's it's not a mass market sort of appealing feature. I don't think. No, but a nice feature to have. Yeah, I don't have a problem with features per se, but. They need to be demonstrated properly and implemented correctly. And this just, again, with Xbox One, there's so many unanswered questions about it. Mm. And the presentation, as great as it was for showing all these powerful titles and proving that, yes, Xbox One can do these AAA titles just as good as PlayStation 4, mm. they just didn't address anything else. So in one respect, they answered all our gaming concerns, but didn't answer a lot of the real bugbears of DRM and used games and so on. So yeah. Matt, you've written a very interesting article on ZDNet about used games and uh, the whole rights issue. Maybe you'd like yes. to tell us a little about that. Well, yeah, the, this piece turned out to be more controversial than I was, I was necessarily intending. I think the, the thing is, is I've written a number of books, and the reason why... I write books is because I want the person who buys them to get some value out of that book. Yeah. And notionally the way I see that transaction happening is that if you, um, read my book, I would like to get some, and you got some value out of it. I would like to get some money back from that. The problem that you have with used, uh, books and games and CDs and DVDs and Blu-rays or whatever is that that value proposition kind of breaks because as soon as you sell that book onto someone else in, in the secondhand market, I, as the author, don't get any money from that. And it's not really the, the fact that I don't get any money that I object to. It's the fact that um, the, other, the, sec- sorry, the other person in the chain is, is, is you're unfairly paying a proportion of the value that that other person is getting. And I think when you look at how all of these intellectual property-based um, products are, are sold, it's sort of almost accidental that you can do this at all. It just so happens that back when we started printing books, it was the only way to do it. But actually, if you're doing digital distribution, it makes much more sense for everybody to have to pay the same amount of money and for there actually to be no used market because the value isn't in the physical object. The value is all in the intellectual property. So that physical object should have no value, yet by accident it does. Um, so, yeah, the, the piece was just really about that idea. So I don't know where, where you, how you guys feel about it. Well, with that in mind, Matt, then, do you think prices are often inflated because they know they're not going to get that, you, you know, that revenue from a used market? Yeah, pricing is very complicated. So the only um, – the thing that people don't uh, – especially in the book market, the thing that people don't really appreciate when they buy books is the cost that goes into marketing the book. So the author might get 10% of wholesale, but it could – 
you know, on a forty dollar book, that might be a, a, about two dollars or something. But the um, the marketing cost of that book is is phenomenal. So it's it's really very difficult. It, you look at things and think, well, there's 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 production in terms of distribution, and I've got to print it, and I've got to put it in, in shops and so on. And all the middlemen need to take their switch, their bit. But there are all these other production stuff that I think makes the price actually not that fair. I think the skew is probably the, the wrong way in that, that used games should probably be cheaper. I think they're probably getting a disproportionately big bite of the apple, mm. I suppose. I don't think I don't think there's an argument to say actually a, a $50 game should cost $25. I just, I just think that's unrealistic because of the production costs. It's the actual production cost of making it physical and getting it somewhere, uh, and the people putting the middlemen in it. I think is a relatively small proportion, a smaller proportion than people tend to think it is. I think when we look at any sort of digital content in the past, uh, if we look at Xbox 360 as an example, mm. any titles that's been made available, full retail titles, not Xbox Live Arcade, the pricing's been you know much far more expensive than if you were going to look at a used game. So that's always had a kind of resentment from the gamer base because they know they can nip down to game or game station, get a used copy far cheaper than if they downloaded it straight from the box. And there's that thought in people's mind that with a total digital system, okay, you can buy a physical disc for Xbox One, but all that really does is transfer the data onto the hard drive anyway, that Mm. they're going to be paying more yeah i think this is this is one of these as we sort of especially over the past 10 years what we've been able to do in technology and society is sort of outstripping how we know how to deal with it and this is one of these classic problems in that it is unfair but there is a market there so it should in theory be possible to drive down the prices um based on what consumers want so obviously if consumers going to say look actually this this digital content is just too expensive and just stop demanding it then the price should go down. And I think that there's got to be a time for some adjustment, but it's, it's got to be a negotiated deal between the publishers and, and the users in terms of saying, well, we want these prices to be cheaper um, because we can't sell them on. And yeah, okay, it's probably invalid for us to think that there was value in this thing before, but actually now we're looking at it and it just the proposition doesn't make sense. So it should smooth out. I think it will take a long time. I think it will be really bumpy. And I think a lot of people lose their, lose their shirts over it because there are obviously, as we know, loads of people who make money out of out of used games and used games or used books or whatever. And all of that is going to evaporate as we move to being much more digital first across all forms of intellectual property sales. Um, yeah. So it that's it's just one of those things that we just as a society just aren't ready for yet, and we're just going to have to learn how to do it as we go. I think. Yeah, and like you say, those those hidden costs with, with marketing don't go away with it being digital. I mean, there's still marketing fees associated with that. Um, yeah. And and second to that as well is I think there's a big perception issue with um, digital goods. Um, no 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 part in played by the the uh, the app store, and mm. the the race to the bottom essentially for 69p has yeah. really caused a real problem for people thinking of digital goods as cheap commodities as opposed to what you say. There's, there's a lot of costs involved, and yeah. with digital downloads they expect them to be cheaper because of things like the app store. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, um, when you go into a shop and you can pick up FIFA brand new for £44 and then it's 49 on the Xbox to download direct, then that's a bit weird. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that situation shouldn't persist. But then yeah. it's, it's what do you do? Microsoft and all the other providers have got to support the channel and the channel mm-hmm. needs the 
the price competitiveness is just it's just a mess. But it, it is a generational thing, and, and this won't be a problem in ten years. No, exactly. And of course, internet connections are still not as good as they need to be for all this to work smoothly. Mm. Especially when you're talking gigabytes of data to download a game. Yeah, so again, hopefully, generationally, it won't be an issue in 10 years, but they're trying to force it now, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. And the fact it also needs to check Xbox One every 24 hours just to make sure, yes, you do own this game, you can't play it. after. If, you're, if your internet goes down for over 24 hours, what do you do then? Unless you're really clever and maybe tether your mobile phone temporarily just to get the activation go through, what do you do? The games you have brought do not work. Yeah. And I think that's also a major concern for Xbox One. I think it's a hard pill for people to swallow, really, isn't it? It is when you spend 40 quid for a game. And, yeah, say so you wanted to go away for, like... I don't know who who would take their Xbox on holiday with them, but, I don't know, like a long weekend, and you can't game over the weekend because you're out no, of luck. But you, you say that. I've had a few people pop up on Twitter today who've said, well, you know, they take their... Um, Xbox out to the in-laws or, or relatives yeah. for a long weekend. Like over the Christmas break, maybe, or something. Yeah, Christmas break, and it's like, well, actually, I now can't do that. But that's that's fine. That's great. It's an in for casual gaming. So yeah. you know, that just means, well, it'll work on the iPad mm. um, or the Android tablet or whatever. So, yeah. So, at the end of all of this, as good as the presentation was, even with all our concerns, would we buy Xbox One? Um, as pretty as Metal Gear Solid Five does look, as of today, it, it's looking unlikely. And that's a shame for me, because uh, I really did like the Xbox 360. How much is it How much is it retailing for? Do we know? Uh, £429. Yeah. £429? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Hmm, no. Yeah, <laughs> half, um, half that, I'd buy one for the kids, but no, I wouldn't buy one for me. But then, you know, I, because I've got kids and stuff, it's... it's um, sitting down and playing an Xbox game is, uh, is something I used to do. Of course, that does come with Kinect as standard now. So yes, that maybe hasn't helped the price either. Yeah, but it sadly hasn't made it as much as more of a selling point for me either. <laughs> Although I was rather pleased I didn't really cover Kinect in the presentation. Yeah, because the last two years at E3 have been quite heavily focused on Kinect. Bring on the kids. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty much like that. It was time, uh, Sesame Street and Disney or whatever it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that stuff has its place, but I think the people that watch E3 are yeah, no, you know your audience. they're not yeah. uh, five- and six-year-olds. I mean, yeah, I know it's a consumer event for the press, but still, it's uh, know, know your audience. Exactly. So... The Sony PlayStation 4 looks surprisingly understated, just like the Xbox One. And certainly from PlayStation 4 fanatics, even before they saw their system, they took great delight in knocking Xbox One for its 80s VHS look. And that's Mm. what they said and not me. So, what do we make of the PlayStation 4 design of the actual machine now we've finally seen it? Well, like I said before we came on air, it's, it's a black box that sits under your television at the end of the day. Um, I think the one thing I'm happy about is that it's got a flat top because the curved roof on the PS3 really annoyed me. But beyond that, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's unoffensive. It is. It's another understated matte and glossy black design. Mm. Mm, it is, isn't it? It is, and with a very weird slant to the front and the rear. I have no idea what the slant's for. But uh, it's smaller than the Xbox One, which does look massive. To be fair. It does. 
I think it was something like the PS4 is like 60% less in volume or something. Why is Xbox One so big? Is it for calling, do we think? Uh, what I don't understand about it, I mean, it might well be that, but it hasn't got an internal power supply either, which is, um, but the PS4 does apparently. What? So that's an, that's an interesting point to know. <laughs> oh, another power brick. Marvellous. Yeah, it's probably about the same size as the Kinect. <laughs> so what did we make of the PlayStation 4 presentation? Again, it was mostly games, but they did actually spend well, probably a good 20 minutes talking about the entertainment side. Well, I was sleeping while it was on live. I didn't stay up for it. because uh, It was, what, it was it what, 2 a.m.? Yeah. Um, so I caught uh, bits and bit, bits of it this morning. From what I've seen, it seemed okay. I mean, there was some nice games shown off, and I think they really stole it, the show, with the, the DRM kind of bragging and, and things. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Well, talk us through that, Chris. What did Sony actually do in relation to the DRM on the Xbox One? Uh, well, Jack... Is it Jack Tratton? He came out on stage and he was he was quite bold about um, saying it doesn't have DRM. It does support used games. You can take it to a shop and give it to your friend and all this. And uh, it was quite to the point. You know, it was a clear response to Microsoft's uh, policies that they'd discussed previously. Um, and then after the event, they they posted a YouTube video showing an instructional video um, where a man just hands another guy a game. And so it says there you go, sort of thing. So it's very tongue in cheek. Um, so really on the offensive, and um, it, the audience responded well. Yes, it got an absolutely rapturous applause from the audience, to say the least. Yeah. So is that going to make any difference? Okay, the hardcore may really appreciate this used games facility, but in the long run, is it going to um, have any real impact to either system? It depends on how much like, media attention it gets um, in terms of and how well Sony play that in making sure Joe Average knows about it because when it comes to launch day, it, this might all be forgotten and you know people who don't pay attention to E3 might have no idea of these issues anyway and just go pick up an Xbox or PS4 and, and not think anything of it. So it's hard to say. I think it's too early to tell, to be honest. What about you, Matt? What do you think? I don't necessarily have too much of a view on this, actually. It's... Um, well, would it put you off? Would it put me off not being able to sell used games or buy used games? Indeed. Would that be a determining factor for you? Uh, no. Mm. And it won't for me either, but simply, that's a personal uh, no, preference. See, it is for me because I, I tend to rent a lot of games because um, I fly through them and then never play them again, so I don't really see the value in it. And I know that that isn't very supportive of the developers, but that's just the reality of it. Yeah, I must admit, I used to do that as well. I mean, it, it's as I sort of mentioned with the kids and stuff. I don't, I don't get to play as many games as I used to, but I would do that. I mean, there are some games which I've played in my life which have just been fantastic and I've really enjoyed, and I've liked having mm. bought them new. But equally, there's loads of games I've bought. I've, I've been into secondhand game shops and walked out with handfuls of, of secondhand games before. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, it's just. I think I have to be fairly relaxed about whether that's still a possible thing going forward. Yeah. But um, yeah. And what about the games that were shown? There was no Uncharted Four, unfortunately for me. I absolutely adore that series, and for anyone <laughs> who hasn't got a PS3, it may be just worth buying one just for that series. It's amazing. Yeah, because that's going to happen. I mean, PS. Well, you yeah, know, it's just a matter of time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else did they show? They had. Um... Elder Scrolls Online, which is um, interesting. I think I'm I I surprised at the number of multi-platform titles they showed. Yeah, 
Um, it's quite telling. And this was quite a, a theme throughout other press events as well, like EA's and Ubisoft's. There was a lot of, obviously, multi-platform games shown, but um, they were talking about the Xbox One and, and not so much the PS4, which was, which was a curious thing, even though they are available for that platform. And I think it was on the Ubisoft presentation, they were using an Xbox One controller in one of the gameplay demos. Right. So I don't know if that means they've actually got some physical hardware to run these on. So they or they were just using them as a controller, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's quite intriguing. But I don't think that has any real relevance because PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, from a technical standpoint, are virtually identical. Mm. There may be some small discrepancies in memory speeds and whatnot, but I think at the end of the day, if you've got either one, you're going to see very impressive graphic performance. Yeah. Um, there was Abe's, a remake of Abe's Odyssey, which which is uh, welcome. That's also um, coming to Wii U. Yeah, uh, I saw that earlier in the uh, the direct. Well, I can only imagine um, that's coming on Xbox One as well, if that's the case. Yeah, you'd think so. So another multi-platform title. Yep. I'm just trying to think. What was their exclusive wise? There was uh, was that Mad Max game they announced. Was that was that an exclusive? I'm not sure. There was no um, God of War title. No, oh, there was the, the Killzone title. Oh, yes. She's uh, going to be at launch. Yes, they seem to reshow all the <laughs> the titles they showed at the February event. Yeah, including with, Drive Club. Yeah, with nothing really sorry, new to Sorry, add. hashtag Drive Club. Oh, yes, don't forget the hashtag. Very important. <laughs> yeah. That's when you're on Xbox One and you snap Twitter to the side, you can hashtag Drive Club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, they showed a lot off, and I think, the price as well is it was a good thing that excited a lot of people. Um, it's still expensive. What is it? Three four nine? Is it's that right? Three hundred and forty nine pounds compared to the Xbox One four hundred and twenty nine. Mm. And I think for a new console, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I um, mean, PlayStation Three when that first came out, that was very high. What does the Wii? What's the week you you come out? That was three hundred, wasn't it? Uh, yes, for the premium black version, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, or was it 250? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut across. No, sorry, it's a lot more expensive than, a, than an iPad. Just throwing that in there. Well, you know? actually, I thought that as well, Matt. That you can buy either console, and if you go for the full-size iPad and not the mini, they're mm. around the same price. So you should, yeah. if you're I happy mean, just to have a little tablet, which is, compared to a console, very underpowered... Yeah. Surely you can justify this if you're really into gaming. Yes, but then I mean, yeah, for the for the price of a Wi-Fi 3G 64 gig iPad, you can get both the Xbox and the PS4. Yeah, but for <laughs> a 16 gig Wi-Fi iPad Mini, which is 269 quid, you yeah. can, you know, and it, it's it's you, all relative. <laughs> yeah, you still know more about this than me, but it's just kind of like, well, me, I I still do gaming, but I do casual gaming on particularly on the iPad. So, um, is that you know is that a thing compared to in compared to consoles? Is is will you know will effectively my kids who grow up with being able to do casual gaming on the iPad will this will this be what they remember rather than the N sixty fours and the Dreamcast and all that stuff? That's yeah, it's a sad day when they're going to remember Angry Birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know that's that's where yeah where we find ourselves. Yeah. So the only theme tune they will know. But, um, yeah, I think it's a fair point. 
Well, the Nintendo Wii U Basic on Amazon is currently going for 220 and the Wii U 32GB Premium Pack is going for 266 Right. But Six you never know off. what happens near Christmas. Mm. So yes, PS4, a, a decent price. And for what's supposedly a more powerful system and £80 nearly cheaper than the Xbox One, that's quite tempting as a hardcore gamer, isn't it? And of course, the no DRM thing. And all that yeah, sort of. yeah, I think it is. Um, the PS4 and... doesn't come with the camera, which is interesting. No, and the even P- though that was the in the Xbox press shots One, originally. yeah, and the Xbox One doesn't come with a headset. So yeah, <laughs> weird. So that's that, really. A Nintendo Wii U Direct. It was yeah. usual Nintendo fare, really, wasn't it? You had your Mario Kart, unsurprisingly. There was a return of Donkey Kong, which they made a big thing about. It has fur. Because <laughs> right. we've never seen fur on characters before, have we, on any other system? Apparently not. <laughs> so, so what did you make of that one, Chris? No surprises, really. Um, it was very low-key. Um they obviously didn't do an E3 conference this year. They just decided to do a, a video link. Um, a pre-made video as well. Yeah, and like you said, they had the Marios, they had the Zeldas, they had everything you'd expect, to be honest. Um, a lot of third-party yeah. titles from Ubisoft and Sega, but EA noticeably absent. Yes, yeah. Um, Ubisoft seems quite persistent in their support, which is good to see because they need it. Um, so, yeah, I think it was... It was okay. And I think that one of the, the, the main problems of it was a lot of it was 2014, coming in 2014, coming in 2014. And we yearners as it is have had to wait quite a bit for some decent quality titles in the library. Yeah, and the games that were meant to be coming sooner have mostly been delayed, which yeah, he actually I mean, apologised for and bowed. Profusely, yeah. Um, we Fit You has been moved to December. Um, we Fit... We party. I can't. There's so many we you. I'm getting my names confused. <laughs> yeah, we party. We something. Yeah, that's the one. That's been moved back to was it October November time. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of waiting. You have to be quite patient if you're a Wii U and a, please understand is what he keeps saying. Right. <laughs> Thank you all for your petals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll give I'll give Nintendo credit. The apology is very much welcome. It's not very often you get an apology in a video like that. Well, they're quite frank and honest, which is refreshing, I guess. And they're quite upfront about these things. Um, and the weirdest thing is, I wasn't considering getting a Wii U, but, but now I might. You know, there's no, at least I know there, there's no messing about. If I buy a game, it's mine. I can do whatever the hell I want with it. So there is that. But it's, if it gets the third party support, which is it's, it's severely lacking in. I'm just saying, at one point, Microsoft considered buying Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. If they had, although they brought Rare and they didn't really do anything, did they? Yeah, wasted opportunity that was. So we move on from E3 to our next major topic: Windows 8.1. Now, Windows 8 has had quite a bit of flack for its major changes, most notably the Start menu disappearing and replaced by the Start screen, and Metro or Modern Design, as Microsoft <laughs> now prefer to call it, full screen applications. We, we're going to keep calling it Metro, though, right? Everybody calls it Metro. It's yeah. We've been, it, been brought up with it, Chris. <laughs> well, it is Metro. But no, modern design is the official terminology we're now supposed to use. 
So what can we expect in Windows 8.1? I have a feeling, Matt, you've got some thoughts on this. Oh, good grief. It's been so long since I've thought about Windows 8.1. <laughs> um, yes. So, well, I guess uh, the major thing is we have a start button. Uh, yeah, I, I, find it, I find it difficult to talk about the start button at this point because <laughs> I've been talking about the start button for over a year. Um, it is a very irrelevant point, but we have it, to make it, it clear, don't we? Really, I've, I've got one question. Do you still have to press the start button to end to shut down? No, no, you have to okay. bring your arms up. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I haven't got Windows 8. <laughs> yeah, I'm blind um, to all of this. You can press the start button actually, because you can. Be, oh, can you? No, do you have to go back to the charms? No, you might be able to do it without without um, going through the start menu. But no, the, the expectation is you go through the charms. So the start button. My position is, look, just just get on with it. The the worst. There's worse usability problems in in Windows 8, uh, Windows 8, and Windows 8 1. Um, mainly the f- there's. There's a there's a problem. The the core problem that you have and the reason why people struggle with with these two operating systems that are kind of duct taped together is that one of them is um, monochronistic, which means you do one thing at a time, and one of them is polychronistic, which means you do many mm-hmm. things at a time. So when you're using normal Windows, you're using it polychronistically, so you have overlapping windows, you're able to aggregate information together, you're able to focus on work. The problem with Metro is that it's monochronistic. And when, what doesn't work for people is jumping from polychronistic to monochronistic usage within the same device. If you go and look at any smartphone or tablet, they are always monochronistic because that works better for the kind of things you do with, um, uh, you do with those, those sorts of devices. But it, you know, getting hung up on the start screen isn't important. You just learn a different way of doing it. And there's some, there's some frustrations, but you get some real estate back, a little tiny bit, whatever. Um, but the, the bigger problems are the fact that it Microsoft very it's very clumsy how it kind of moves into this tablet orientated post PC relationship centric world, and it really doesn't do that very elegantly. Mm. Yes, it's very jarring, isn't it? When you're in the desktop in particular, you double click say a PDF, and yeah. unless you've changed the association to which program that launches, you get yeah. a full screen Metro app. And that's really difficult. If you're not a technologist, that's a real mm. problem because you, you go, you know, you, you'll end. Uh, my dad had um, this problem on his machine, which you probably won't mind me mentioning, but he would double click on an attachment in an email and he just wouldn't know where to go. So he's got no charms, no start buttons, no close button, nothing. So he would just shut the machine down by pressing, holding the power button mm. and then boot it up again. And that's not, there's, Microsoft Redmond is going to be full of telemetry of people doing stuff like that. Um, that's the real weird thing is how come a company which is so instrument instrument based and so based on telemetry has actually managed to build something which is so odd. But I think if you look at any other way they could have done it, this was probably the only the only thing they could do if they wanted to make Windows behave uh, in a more post PC way. Do you both use Windows Eight? Then? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, uh, right. I use a I use a Mac day to day. I use. Windows 8 for development. I've been using Windows 8 right. since April. No, since I, last April 2012. I think it's it's interesting with Windows 8. I mean, they obviously it, it's quite Metro is quite bold in comparison to what came before it. But I, I just feel like Microsoft didn't have the confidence to just go whole hog with it. And yeah, it would have upset a lot of users if if that was the only option. I understand that. Um, well, what do you so mean whole the, hog? Well, Metro only, no, no desktop, no nothing. I think that's where they want to be. 
because uh, um, Microsoft, they are such a large company with such a large percentage of the market. Legacy support is so vital. Exactly. Particularly for business. And it's all about enterprise, isn't it, for Microsoft? That's where yep. most of their money comes from. But from a consumer point, I think that's where they want to be. But it's just too cannibalistic just to cut it off like that. Um, I think, again, it's fragmentation, but Windows 8 works great on a tablet, I'd imagine, because Metro is, is, is great for that single screen experience, single task at one at a time thing. So a tablet version, I don't know, it, it's all a bit confusing. Well, the, there was an argument that basically you just scale up Windows Phone, but the, the problem with scaling up Windows Phone to tablet class devices is that you then can't run Office on it, and then you end up... Yeah, um, that's, that's their offering now, really, isn't it? Yeah, so, and that's a real problem. If, in fact... We, in, um, in my Death of a PC book, we, the first chapter, we really look at the attributes of, of what makes a post-PC device. And if you then look at, uh, if you look at old Windows, it's not very post-PC. If you look at new Windows or the Metro stuff, it is pretty post-PC. Mm. And there is an argument, you can basically make one into the other one by, just by changing things like, um, just by changing stuff we really discussed. Office, you can't change. Office yeah. is, is basically never, ever going to be a post-PC thing. Um, Post-PC in this context means stuff, it means basically focus towards very quick ad hoc relationship-centric stuff, so reaching out, sharing, connecting, learning, all this stuff that we've sort of touched on when we're talking about the console stuff. And Office just isn't that. So, and it's one of these really hard problems Microsoft has to deal with, is their inventors, their innovators' dilemma is much more about what to do with Office than it is to do with Windows. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, that's... Um, that's and- a- and they're kind of holding office ransom essentially i think to 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 get people onto windows now i mean the fact you still haven't got office on ios or android uh, yeah. is is telling because but i think the 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 the, the ships the, the chance for that's gone now i think people have moved on they don't care they can if they if they want to do spreadsheets on their phone they'll find a way to do it without office now so it, they're kind of in this weird space where i think they are holding office kind of ransom to using windows 8 as yeah. opposed to moving on to these post-PC devices. No, that's, that's a good way of looking at it, actually, that they're holding it to ransom. And I think the, the problem that you have is throughout all the life of the iPad, there has never yeah. been a single analyst who's come out and said, or even pundit, for that matter, who said, my God, we re-, you know, if, if Apple would only, you know, if Microsoft would only put Office on the iPad, yeah. Apple would sell an extra few million a year. Yeah. No one's ever said that, because no, no one needs it. So, no. If anyone needs it, it's Microsoft, because it, it would sell, but I think the chance for it to be what it they, they imagine it would be is as long gone yeah it would turn on a tap revenue wise it, would it wouldn't be additive to anybody in terms of the, the experience but, yeah so other than the start button which we all love so much what about other features in windows 8.1 which we can expect there's a uh, new tile sizes for example yes wh- whoop to do <laughs> you can have a double sized tile and uh, the Microsoft example gives you a weather background, or you can have your desktop link the biggest on screen. <laughs> and you can have nice little ditty tiles, little tiny ones, just like Windows Phone. Which makes me wonder, do Windows Phone and Windows 8 developers ever talk to each other? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a complex topic. I think it, what we're seeing with, with 8.1 is what Microsoft always do, which is they... People always talk about this idea that version 3 of Microsoft products are really good, but the, the hidden story behind that is actually that all their systems and procedures are all driven to make that happen. It's not something that happens accidentally. So what we're seeing is 
telemetry feeding in from Windows 8, intelligence feeding in from, from perception of Windows 8, and then just, just tweaking. But they can't, and they're not doing anything bold or it, it, it kind of is how it is, and it's just going to be there forever now. Um, and for me, I can't get excited about different size tiles. <laughs> you know, it's just whatever. I don't, I don't really believe in the tile paradigm anyway, but that's, um, I think it adds too much cognitive load, which is a similar problem with Android widgets. It's kind of, that's not how, these devices are not supposed to be something you think about. They're just supposed to be something you just fly into and fly off of again. Mm. And having to go, oh my God, where which icon is which, it's showing me something different, oh, there's a picture of someone, oh, God, I can't stand that guy, or there's yeah. a news article, oh, my God, oh, I don't really want to think about that horrible thing that's happened. It, it's psychologically very weird thing to do, to just keep throwing stuff at people. So I, Yeah, it's got yeah. A, you've, got, you've got to strike a balance with these app tiles, I mean, if at all, I mean, of having enough in there that the idea is you want to be able to know what you're clicking at a glance and just hit it and get to what you want to look at without having to think oh is that the right app and it's, yeah, but it's you, don't, but you don't know where that ends it's like yeah. okay i've got i know i had 500 emails before i went into that meeting i've now got 550 and i can see the subject line of one of them i still need to go into the mail app to read it yeah, yeah. um but you know i there probably isn't a bigger critic of metro than me actually. <laughs> so i well, I'll, I'll back from the other side of the fence, and I actually like the tiles and the, the quick glance at things. The only thing that really throws me is when, particularly the news tiles, it'll flick a headline. I think, oh, that's interesting. So I'll click it, expecting to go straight to that headline and yeah. the actual content for that story. And you just go to the main index. I'm thinking, well, where is it? I can't find it now. Yeah, that, that's the... The, the background updating story in Windows Store apps is not very refined, so it's very... Windows is actually reaching out to a special um, XML file published by Microsoft to do those notifications, but it's not actually running the news app to update its internal state. So it, it, yeah, it isn't, it isn't as joined together as you would think. I mean, coming back, we're going to talk about Apple, hopefully, but you know, coming to Apple would never allow something like that because it makes the, the experience too disjointed, and that's the challenge that Microsoft has. It's not really trying to go after technologists who understand. Oh, I could just ignore that because it, it sort of makes sense it it just it causes all this um the, these cognitive problems where you kind of go well why is that happening like that and what's going on and it's i mean i'm just running my news app now and it's hung to be honest okay. uh, <laughs> yeah it, it's a, a real challenge for microsoft to learn to start learning how to stop building products for them which is what they've always done and start building products for other people and that that's why it's interesting that they do so well in Xbox. I mean, the, the Xbox range has always been fantastic. And I don't mean to be down on Xbox like a, Xbox One like I was before, because I think it's a really decent, decently put together product. But what they do now is um, a real challenge in terms of getting their other products over into, in, over into consumer land. So other exciting additions to Windows 8 includes adjustable snap, so rather than it just filling about a quarter of your screen, you can have two Metro full-screen apps filling half and adjust that yourself quite flexibly. Cloud connectivity, a little bit more SkyDrive integration. Uh, you can get to many more PC settings rather than to jump to the desktop and use good old control panel, which seems a little bit backwards in a Metro world. Uh, IE11 better mouse and keyboard options, and that's about it. So that's yes. Windows 8.1, in a nutshell. 
Lovely. The important thing about Windows 8.1, actually, is that um, the updates... I might be getting this wrong. They're, they're, they're going to be quite in your face. So we won't have... Um, people talk about Android fragmentation all the time. Windows has a much worse fragmentation problem. So it should be that if you come into perspective that Windows 8 was a really bad idea and Windows 8 is fantastic, you shouldn't end up with this position where there's a load of legacy people on Windows 8 because the, the updates would be much better. And it's a free update. Good, good. Yes. So now moving on to good old Apple. And they've run out of cats. <laughs> So it's now OS X Mavericks. Yeah. So I think we better move on from the name because I can't imagine the same very much positive about their new twist on names. So uh, it seems a bit of an understated release as far as operating system updates go. It seems mostly performance improvements and battery optimizations and things like that. What can, what can we make of it, Chris? What do you think? Um... I think it's interesting that they've, they've moved to this this yearly cycle now, essentially, with, with their OSs, which means they, they were going to run out of names quick anyway, so they definitely had to think of a new naming paradigm. Um, but Sea Lion. Yeah, that, that would have been great. I'm <laughs> waiting <laughs> for OSX Tenderloin. Anyway, oh, lovely. Uh, <laughs> Loincloth. Yeah, there's a whole range there. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. There's not a massive amount it's like you said with 8.1 it, it's kind of incremental stuff um whereas you know they're introducing maps they're introducing ibooks to the mac so if you want to read a book on your mac uh, i don't know who you are but you can do that now um, um and it's, it's funny that this how people get excited over such things like tabs in finder but hey here we are <laughs> That was a frustrating keynote, actually, because it was just like, all anybody really cared about was iOS 7. And, well, okay, let's yeah. spend 10 minutes looking at a spreadsheet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, if we're going to talk about iOS 7, let's just get it out of the way now and just say flat and skeuomorphism and get it done with. <laughs> well, uh, basically, iBooks is going to be now available on OS X Mavericks, uh, a, a dedicated Maps app. Calendar's been updated, so we haven't got the skeuomorphic style. Uh, Savaris got some updates as well. iCloud Keychain. So now it will save your passwords and you'll be able to use those cross-device on Apple products. So if you like me and use Windows and Mac, that's not going to be of absolutely no use to you. Uh, notifications. So they syncs. Pish, let's try that again. Notifications are now synced across devices. So if you've read it on one, it will realize that on other devices. Thank goodness. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, you'll, still t- have, you'll, you'll still have the issue of all your devices beeping at once, though, for the first initial notification, yeah, I imagine. Yeah, but I think that's probably better than nothing at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Finder tabs, as you've, as you've already said, Chris. Um, tags, you can tag your files to try and find them a bit easier in Finder. Advanced technologies, which is about the battery optimization and performance improvements. And I think the biggest one for me, actually, out of all of them, is multiple display support actually works properly if you dare make anything full screen. Yeah. Because currently you make uh, one of the applications full screen, and if you have one extra monitor or maybe two extra monitors, they have this lovely grey pattern, which you can do nothing with. Yeah. The linen's gone now, right? The linen has gone. You can actually use multiple monitors as you would hope. And if you swipe, if you're using the touchpad to go to another desktop view, the other monitor isn't affected. 
Yeah, it knows what independently which one you're swiping on for full screen support, which is nice. Exactly, because yeah. I'm often like tweet deck full screen on one monitor. Mm. As soon as I swipe, that's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Even though that wasn't the monitor I was intending to move along to. But so that's a nice little addition, and the calendar yeah. looks quite nice now. Mm. Yeah, I think overall it was it was quite a good conference. Uh, they moved quite quickly. It was a different pace compared to previous years. Um, and is this another update we're going to have to pay for? Yeah, I'd imagine so, but it's going to be, what, £13 probably? <sighs> you see, it's not that revolutionary. They could easily call that a service pack. Yeah, but that, that's ugly, calling it a service pack, right? <laughs> it is, it is. It's not very Apple-like, yeah. But yeah, this, the whole felt's gone, stitching's gone, leather's gone, and um, it, was, it was quite interesting because obviously they had... But when they they begin, they had the, the retail stuff and the sales intro, which is always the, the boring stuff they have to start with. And there's where they usually talk about the comparisons to Android or Windows 8, and they showed the adoption rates and and stuff. And that's expected for them to kind of jibe at their competition. But they were they were quite. It was quite interesting to see them jibe at themselves. Uh, they were quite open about saying, "Oh yeah, we know the felt was rubbish and the green felt in Game Center and all that." And um, obviously, that's the departure of uh, Scott Forstall. They were quite cutthroat about that. Yeah, that was a bit. I, I must have been uncomfortable um, watching if you were him. Yeah, it was a bit sort of. Now he's gone. Now, now we're going to sweep away everything that he was responsible for. It was yeah, literally was brutal. And nowhere is this more noticed than in iOS seven, mm. which has been revealed with its now minimal design elements and dare I say, very Windows Phone Android like elements introduced. Uh, to be honest, a lot of developer response hasn't been very positive for those who are actually using the beta. In the audience, right. they were far more enthusiastic, and although a lot of Apple employees would be at the front rows there clapping away enthusiastically, <laughs> but even in the back rows, you know, the press and the standard do-goers, they were clapping and shouting and screaming in complete and utter joy, because this is the most major update to iOS we've had since the original iPhone. Yeah. So what do we make of the graphical style to begin with before we actually start talking about the actual features? Well, like you said, you, you've seen a lot of developers berate it. Um, I don't see so much from the developer standpoint, but from the designers uh, on Twitter just going mental and berating it and saying it's awful. Um, personally, I think some of the icons do look a bit questionable, maybe rushed, um, but the in-app stuff looks, looks, looks nice. Um, some of the logos and icons would look great on a high-visibility jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very simplistic and very yeah. bright. Yeah, very psychedelic. And some have gradients, some don't. Some look flat. Some have got bubbles with shadows and all sorts. It's to say it's Johnny Ive and this meant to be this design consistency. It doesn't feel very consistent. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I I put it on mine, my my um, 4s today. I'm not. It doesn't really have any verve or kind of. Anything you can really get hold uh, you, you get hold of, it's just kind of well, it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautifully. You can clearly see that some of the best designers in the world have have done this, but it's kind of okay. Now, yeah. now, now, what? Now, is is that a good thing though? Because it, it is just what it is. I mean, it just disappears, and if you, you use it and forget about it, and if if the design disappears, you know it works. Yeah, I suppose. I think that the, the difficult thing with change is that no one likes change, whatever happens. And it, mm. it's with this, you know, we'll we'll all get used to this, and then that one day we'll pick up a 3GS with 
iOS 4 in it and go, oh my god, mm. <laughs> you know, look at this thing. Um, well, that's it. I think um, John Gruber said it would it'd be quite a polarizing design. I think he's definitely right with that. Um, yeah. And like you said, you, we'll look back at iOS 4, 5, 6, whatever, and just look at pinstripes and linen and think, yeesh, what was that? So, yeah. yeah. It'll take time, but people will just get used to it. Yeah, I think overall it's definitely a lot better than what we're using now. But there's some very odd minor changes along the way, which have got quite a few people puzzled. Yeah, I do think it is majority the icons. I think the in-app stuff, most people have no issues with. Yeah, except yeah. Uh, someone did post a picture of the Notes app, and it was a lovely yellow text on a white background as a title. Yeah. That, yeah, that and, was very uh, uh, not pleasing to the eye. There's some questionable uh, font spacing choices as well, whereas in the Messages apps now, because of the way it displays, um, names get truncated, so you can't see the full person of the name that you're actually texting, which is a bit annoying. All right, so it'll come up Chris Brown. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. And Matt, you're going to have a bigger problem there. <laughs> I'm going to have a bigger problem with that, yeah. Unless, unless everyone just calls me Embrit, which is what I try and pitch for. Ah. Yeah. It's, um, sorry, I'm just fiddling with... I'll probably stop fiddling with iOS 7. No, no that's good. It's always How good does it run? Because I was going to put it on my phone this morning, but I... I, uh, last, I think last time. you need your battery, um, don't do it. Right. <laughs> um, I use a Nexus 4 as my main phone, so this... Oh, okay. Yeah, this is, my 4S is my main phone, so I wasn't going to risk it. Which also, yeah, bear I'll, in mind, this is beta, so it's probably going to be a bit... Uh... Yeah, buggy and problematic with battery at this point. It's a bit laggy. You can see it's not really optimized. I think everything works okay. The um, oh, I just found that feature. That's good. Um, the problem they've changed where the search option is, which I've just found. Oh, you just pulled down on the apps, yeah. Yeah, which I didn't. Um, but you can actually feel it getting warm in your hand when you use it. Right. right yeah. I can't imagine the battery life's going to be very good. Could this be because of the now transparency feature we have? On iOS, which is quite ironic because Windows 8 removed most of the transparencies. Yeah. Oh, you mean the animations or do you mean the transparencies? The transparencies. So like for, on Windows 8, Eero disappeared. So the titles, yes. you couldn't see what's behind them. And actually, they did say that was for power, didn't they? Yeah, because you're not yeah. doing the extra. And now iOS has lots of transparencies so you can see what's beneath. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> Definitely. The battery management is just that good, Matt. I mean, from a design standpoint, I guess people definitely can't call it flat because there are a lot of layers to it with that with that added transparency and the, the parallax effect and stuff. So but that's just that's just from a design standpoint, I guess. Mm. It's but not what people expected. But this is the thing, isn't it? You look at the new Maps icon, and that mm. is flat. And then you look yeah. at the Game Center icon, which is four bubbles, which are made to look 3D. Mm. It's... I don't get that's what the, I mean. The, the, just it's just the icons that are real bugbear for me. Would Steve <laughs> Jobs sure. okay. have let that go? Oh well, that's that's the million dollar question, isn't it? It is. It's the question everybody thinks, and yeah. I dare to ask it on a podcast. So that's the glossy nature, but they did add a lot of new features. So control center. So now if you swipe up from the bottom of your phone get a lot of lovely options to turn Wi-Fi on and off and Bluetooth. Uh, airplane mode is available from there. You can select your music easily from there. Just brightness, alter airplay options. It's now got a built-in flashlight feature, so we don't need those third-party apps anymore. Take photos, calculator links, and this is all visible on one screen. Isn't it, Matt? Because yeah. now I bet you're now looking, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, yeah I can see. Yeah, it's, good. It's, it's a lot of controls 
It is, but it's what you want. It's quite space out though. You can sort of yeah, it's I could I could see it's helpful. I mean turning Wi Fi on and off, I always find I'm in a situation if I'm at the back of the house I may be just in that horrible bit where I'm just a little bit in range and just a little bit out of it. So it will be on off. On off. On off. Yeah, it will be nice to have that. I mean when I walk home from work I'm forever picking up Wi Fi signals and it's just like turn it off. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That'd be nice. (laughs) And at the moment it's go settings and Wi Fi and top. Yeah, it's long overdue. (laughs) And it's not something you can do from Siri at the moment either. Although Siri, yeah. the new Siri, you're able to do that, I think, because you could turn on and off Bluetooth, so I assume Wi-Fi is absolutely no different there. So as you're looking at it, Matt, what do you think to the new control centre? It's very Android-like, actually. It's very Android-like. This is a real, this, this is the real problem with, with how this is going to be perceived, I think, is that it, effectively it's going to be, oh, it's just Android, 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 which is fair enough. I mean, Android did, Android did innovate all this stuff, um, but then Android is, I mean, I'm used to using Android and I'm a technologist, but Android is very confusing. It's a big, complicated thing. Um, but this is, this is pretty clear. You know, you can kind of you scroll it up and you go, no, I don't want my Wi-Fi or I do want my Wi-Fi or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's nice. You can get to a calculator, which is helpful. Um, yeah, I like it. I mean, everything's a remix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think it's interesting that, I mean, like you were saying earlier, like Windows Phone inspiration, I just find it curious that it's Microsoft that have planted a, a new design trend with, with Metro. Yes. Who saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I, mean, I, uh, I got in a huge fight on Twitter about this yesterday. It's just, I, I, look, I can't stand the way Metro looks. I think it just looks amateurish and every time and this looks this looks beautiful like i don't see how this is metro to be honest or it it's flat it's, it's simplistic <sighs> a clearer type of font that's very metro yeah but apple always knew typography you know that was their thing that's how they got that's how they got started isn't it so it i'm not disputing that all yeah. of them copy ideas from each other there's no doubt about that you could look back 10, 20, possibly plus years and find bits where they stole that idea, they stole that idea, this other company stole that idea. Yeah. But in the end of the day, for consumers, it means there's a nice parity that pretty much generally speaking, there's going to be features that are very similar on each phone. It's not going to be glaringly different. And it's, it's you know, we're, we're five, six years into smartphones now. There's, there's a learned kind of expectation now as to what these devices are going to look and feel like. So... Yeah, I think and the I, nice I, thing is iOS is more consistent, where Android, if Samsung hmm. get their hands on it, they'll have their range of software options where they just stick loads on the Galaxy S4. Yeah. And HTC may do something a little bit different, and LG may do something completely different. I find that really problematic. Yeah, isn't that on like one of the Samsung phones on the settings tray you pull down like 18 different on-off toggles and stuff, and it's like, that's a lot exactly. to take in. But yeah, I think one, one of the things... I was quite glad to see was the removal of that 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 linen stuff because what was confusing with that was it was on a um, when you opened a folder it was there on the background and on notifications it was there on the background but they're like two different layers so this is this has got like a nice visual hierarchy to it so it's got transparency yeah exactly <laughs> that, that I think that helps so Matt, experience wise if you'd be yeah. kind enough to pull down notification center. 
because that's now divided into three categories. Today's notifications, all notifications, and missed notifications. Yes, it definitely is. I think it's worth mentioning I hadn't bothered setting up my email on this yet, so um, I haven't really got anything. <laughs> well, the, the, it's split up anyway. It's more categorised, and you can even view notifications sent from the lock screen now. Have you set up Twitter on it? Uh, let's have a look. I don't think I have, actually. You'll be missing all my puns if you don't. Yes, I've got Tweet Day running. It's fine. Uh, oh, no, Twitter, actually. No, that wasn't running. I've, I, uh, I was yeah, going to send I, you a tweet to test it, but never mind. <laughs> no, just, uh, have you seen any notifications come in at the top to see what they look like? I haven't particularly. Let's do... Oh, I can't really do a reminder. Um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do much for you. <laughs> well, don't worry about it. Hmm. But the, you can see the transparency there and everything like that, just vi- slightly visibly underneath. Yeah. But it's interesting they didn't talk much about the iPad. You know, that was all about iOS. The focus was really mm. on the phone. I mean, Apple are good at focusing on, on just one message, but it's... This it wasn't was really... ready. Um, sure, but then... I don't know. It's, it, seemed, it seemed odd to me that they didn't... That this was all about the iPhone. Yeah. Hmm. There's probably some decisions still to be made on the iPads 3. But yes, there wasn't any demos, also even screenshots from what the iPad version would look like. No. So multitasking is also different now. Currently, when you double tap on the home button, you get the row of icons at the bottom. But now you get a very web OS. Can you remember those guys? HP and their attempt at releasing a tablet. Poor old palm. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so it's, it's very web OS like. So if you double tap now, Matt, can you see this yes, lovely screen? I have seen this. Actually, I would say it's more um, uh, Windows Phone than web OS. Oh. Yeah, the tabs are in Safari like web OS, right? Yeah, but they're also a bit like they are on Chrome on my Nexus. It's kind of right. got that more visible <laughs> feel. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just what are, you, what are you borrowing from here? Whom, I guess. So, I see a yeah. trend here. Yeah, I think the thing about multitasking is it's difficult to get excited about that because no one knows where it is. If if you're you know if you're a technologist, you do because you understand tasks and processes and stuff. But if you're just a, a normal user, mm. you're just going to be jumping back to the home and back out again, which is yeah. which I don't have a problem with. So, so also available is AirDrop, so you can transfer files easily between iOS and Mac devices. Yep, nice There's no yep. bumping. <laughs> Yeah, made a point of that. Yes, they did indeed. Uh, new Photos app with a very white background. Yeah, I'm not it... sure about that year view they have. That's a lot of information on screen at once. Yeah, and he shows holding down his finger and moving ever so slowly, and it would and show scrubbing, individual yeah, scrubbing photos. across them. Who's going to use that? <laughs> yeah, it's rare use case, so I don't know if that, that, that's useful. But It's just a nice that, little Apple good. glossy demonstration, really, isn't it? Mm. Uh, the, the interesting thing about the photos though is is um actually where are they thinking that if you sort of ignore the iCloud bit but it's kind of well actually if you, who keeps all their photos on their phone or on their iPad or something are they really seeing a world where you don't have a PC backup base that you're synchronizing everything onto mm. um th- so there's, there's sort of hints about that there's some odd hints like that throughout their whole keynote yeah um, that is one. That's one of them. I thought it was really interesting the way they were doing the photos. Photos are really anthropologically important, 
Um, we've always kind of recorded stuff and developed photos to be more important and, and things like Google Glass about life logging and whether that's really about photography and those other products. It's, it's, it's a really key thing. So it's interesting that they're, they're mucking around in that space. The other thing which is on that topic of, of the more sociological stuff is there wasn't too much about Apple tend to go quite heavy on the relationship stuff. So kind of, you know, this is how you're sharing. This is people enjoying a life together, but having the devices yeah. around. And, and there was less of that, I think. If you went through and measured it, I think you'd find a, a significant difference in, in that approach. There was much more toys and gadgets, which um, is new, I think. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you are just saying about the, the air view and the lack of kind of having a PC at home, it's a good point. I mean, I, I never plug my iPhone into my PC or my Mac and sync or anything. I just take it as it is. And for yeah. the most part, that's okay. And I think that's how most people are going to be now. So yeah, it is interesting that that's mm. no PC at all. They're going to do without it and they will because it is a hassle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the and the only kind of bit about relationships and people that, that there was like you say, there wasn't much of it from a product standpoint, which there usually is. They're really quite heavy on that. Yeah. Um, was that video at the end they did? Um, what was it? This is our motto, made design in California and all that, and the kind of processes behind their products and the, the mantra behind it. But that was actually, that was it. Actually but that, that yeah, they had a, they had a, a two minute video at the end, which was, it was quite a nice typical Apple video, yeah. um, kind of just, just uh, explaining their philosophy behind their products and how. It's important to them and, and changing the world and all this, but malarkey. Yeah. Um, but that was very cut off from the rest of the, 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 the usual embedded, isn't it, within the product presentations. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, that's true. Yeah, talking of gadgets, they had the, that car demo. Did you see that? Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, it was a bit awkward when it, when it, when it messed up, but it was pretty cool. Yeah. No, we've, all, we've all been there. We've all demonstrated products and it failed, just not quite on that scale before. But yeah, yeah it, but it sort of, well, that was... Well, explain the demo for those who haven't seen it. it okay, it was a company... Oh, what was the name? I forget the name of the company now, but I'll, I'll find out. But yeah, they, the two guys came out and demoed physical racing cars. So they, they put a mat on the floor and had these three or four cars uh, going around a racing track independently. Um, and you can control them from the phone and like use weapons like virtual weapons, which you then saw the, the physical car spin out on the track. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite it's, awkward it's, to explain. It, but it's all done through artificial intelligence. So effectively, the cars had yeah. um, some self awareness of what they were trying to do, and were in real time working out how to go around this map. So it's interesting that you sort of had E three, which was you know the evolution of console gaming and having a flat screen, and then you've got um, sort of this implication that casual gaming could be much more physical in, yeah. sort of the, in sort of the real world. I didn't really know where they were going with that. It's what it was oddly placed throughout the whole conference, to be honest. Yeah, but there it is stuck out. It's sort of an odd argument that Siri was not not an argument. It, Siri is sort of a first generation product that was sort of based on human computer relationships, which is where you can kind of have a relationship with a device. And what they were doing there about the AI and there being a, a device was sort of in that direction, mm. which might explain why it didn't really fit anywhere. I, I yeah. don't know. I'm sort of yeah. The company's that, came called Anki, A N K I. Yeah, that's a great name. But yeah, it it stuck out a bit odd. Yeah, but, uh, it looked very cool. It's uh, cheaper than a PlayStation Three, <laughs> four even. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Siri's had some changes as well. It's got a nicer presentation of the information it provides you after you've asked your question. And it's got a new, less computerised voice, both male and female. I don't think we heard a UK version, but certainly the US version sounded much more human-like. I do wonder if it'll uh, understand Scottish people yet. (laughs) That may be asking a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. But, but that looks okay. Yeah. Do we, either of you use Siri? Do you find yourself using it? I that needs to be so much better. I it's it's a really good example for me of of sort of um, I think of it as a Victorian clockwork automaton. You know, if you, if you go back and look at what people did in Victorian times with clockwork and sort of yeah. make these magical things that people were all in awe of, and right. then we look back at them and go, "Oh my god!" I think <laughs> Siri Siri for me is that sort of product. It's got so much promise, and I think it will be you know effect. It, it represents the future of where we end up. I yeah. think after we end up uh, after we've done post PC, but it is just so frustrating to use. It's so crappy. I use it for reminders all the time, and I'm forever. Losing yeah, I gave up on that. Yeah, the only thing I use it for is setting timers while I'm cooking. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. what I was going to say. That's the only like, real yeah. use I have for Siri. Set a timer yeah. for three minutes. Setting yeah. timer for thirty minutes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's about all I use it for. Yeah, I tend to use Google Now, which is on iOS, and that works. It's so much nicer to when you're actually speaking to see it come up with the words. Yes, it's a nice user response, isn't it? Yeah, and the answers are getting a lot better on that. Not as nice as Siri in a lot of ways for the presentation side, and it's still quite limited in some respects, but I think you could actually find a use case for using either one. One for certain things and another one for other things. So it's nice to have them both on one platform. Because, mm. of course, Siri is never going to come on Android. So <laughs> one advantage on being an iPhone user. Talking of uh, things on rival platforms, what about Bing being the search and the thing on Siri? It. Yeah. That was hell uh, freeze over much. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that was James, interesting. Isn't it? it was slipped in quite cunningly. I suppose it's yeah. the only one they dare use. Yeah, just thought it was interesting. I mean, it's not the default on Safari yet, is it? Um, I, I don't, I don't think, so, think no. it's the default on Safari. It's, it's probably if you ask for certain things, it will use Bing. Right. But yeah, I was curious. Because it's now linking to Wikipedia, and you've got proper Wikipedia cards that appear, and uh, some other ones. But yeah, Bing was also in the mix. Mm. So no, my, mine's saying Google search, but it could be because I've restored it from a backup. Right. No, I think Google Search is still the standard for at least Safari, anyway. Yeah. So, iTunes Radio. Yeah, I got a bit overexcited at this because I thought it was like Spotify, but it's not. It's more like Last.fm, really, isn't it? It is very like Last.fm. Spotify, where you can have a much better chance of choosing the tracks you want to listen to, where this is more like Last.fm, where you select a genre or artist, and it will play music similar to that artist. Yeah. And you thumb it up or thumb it down and say, I never want to listen to this track again. And it learns and tries to provide music that you think you will like. And basically, this is a tool to use iTunes to then purchase any music you really, really like. Mm. I think, you know, it's smart. It's And free. They're, they're a bit late to the game with it. Um, but it's free. It's ad-supported unless you're on iTunes Match subscription, in which case there's no ads. Yeah, which I am, which is nice. Exactly. So, yeah. um, because iTunes Match at the minute doesn't really kind of doesn't work as I expected it to. It's a bit patchy at times in terms of 
the tracks being on my phone or not, and it's, it's not very clear. So this is nice to have that kind of value, added value to it. So we've got a new camera app, but it takes photos, so not much more exciting than that. You can take square photos, square ones, very yeah. Instagram. You can add filters, but that's only available on iPhone 5 upwards, I think. Right. Well, I don't know why filters so dependent on processing, maybe because it gives you a live version before you take the photo possibly. Oh, yeah that's probably what it is yeah safari's been updated that's very very white yeah so sure. that, that new share icon looks awful yeah the icons at the bottom of the screen do look very big and pronounced and crap <laughs> to be frank but they the do disappear when you start scrolling yeah which is very chrome on ios like uh, what else have we got? Moment to scroll down, James, you're on Windows, not Mac. <laughs> uh, new mail app, which again borrows heavily from another third-party mail app where you swipe and you've got a choice to delete and more options. But again, all very white background, which is very opposing to Android, which tends to be more black backgrounds to reduce battery usage. Uh, a weather app, which has been updated with new weather effects in the background. Again, this is very Android-like. And mm. messages, as you mentioned, Chris, uh, it's very flat. Uh, some of the font alignments are intriguing. Yeah, I mean, just going back to the weather app, we were talking earlier about app icons and them showing you information and them needing to be clear as to what their purpose are. Uh, it's Obviously, the calendar app icon on iOS has always reflected the current date. Yes. Um, and in iOS 7, they've changed the clock icon to also reflect the current time. Which Matt which is, can now confirm. Yeah. I can never remember which way to slide. It says slide to unlock, and I never know which way to slide it. Oh, it does. Yeah. yeah. But the weather icon doesn't. And I think that's them kind of towing that line between the app being consistent, the app icon being consistent, whereas the clock and the, the calendar can probably get away with that. Yeah. The yeah, weather yeah. icon can't. Yeah. Couldn't no. it show the temperature? That it could. But if you yeah, need you that, I recommend you get an app called Celsius, which displays the temperature as a notification. Depends mm-hmm. if those red bubbles would annoy you or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is there anything else we need to talk about iOS 7? I don't think so. I mean, apart from those elementary-looking icons. Matt, do you think you'll fall in love with it? Uh, I... Or is that the wrong question? Are you, are you going to like it more than the previous version? Um... I don't think the way it looks is going to make a damn bit of difference to me, really. I, yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I, I'll get used to how it looks. Um, but I think it's with these things, it's what they do for you, not what they look like. So there's that. Functionality of a gloss. Yeah, it's far yeah. from perfect, but it's going to evolve over time and be what, you know, like you said, like you said earlier, you know, you, it kind of didn't annoy you, the design. So I think it works. Well, hmm. it's still in beta. There's still maybe some minor changes along the way we'll have to see. And if the developers speak up loud enough, you never know what's going to happen. So, there's a new Mac Pro. And it's cylinder and black and shiny. It looks like a trash can. <laughs> it does look like it. In fact, somebody actually did post a picture on Twitter saying, we've already got our Mac Pro and it was a black trash can. Yeah. And at closer inspection, I only realised it wasn't a Mac Pro. <laughs> it was even more concerning. But yes, it's the future of the Pro Desktop coming later this year. So they only gave us a teasing look at it, but 
it's supposed to give you better cooling with this design, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they haven't announced when it's available or the price yet, which I imagine will be very, very high. Um, but it's curious because obviously the Mac Pro hasn't changed in a long, long time. And it, the, the current Mac Pro isn't even available in Europe because it's so old, it doesn't comply with regs apparently. Um, so them getting this out, obviously the Mac Pro will be back in Europe. Um, the main difference really is the switch from with the Mac Pro, the internals were all modified. With this, you have to just plug things in externally. So video cards, hard drives, etc., etc., all have to be done externally. That's the the main change, I think. Other than the fact that it looks like a bin. <laughs> so is that all through Thunderbolt then? Yeah, Thunderbolt two, ah, Thunderbolt 2. which is something ridiculous. What's the transfer speeds on that? I forget. But uh, twenty gigabits a second, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 the main kind of change is that it's all going to be external based if you want to expand upon it um, which is interesting because they made a big play of how it's you know super quiet and really sleek looking and, and then you're going to go plug in all these noisy ugly looking accessories so I don't know and when yes. you move house you can roll it down the stairs <laughs> exactly put it on so your yeah. shoulder it's going to be great fun so yeah it's curious interesting yeah. design do you think it will keep the pros happy? Because a lot of pros in the past, particularly with the changes to Final Cut Pro, got yeah. a little bit upset. It did. Um, I guess so. I mean, the fact that it supports up to three 4K televisions is, is pretty impressive, especially for like Hollywood Studios, I guess. But it, it, this this is such a niche product. It's it's you know, it's hard to yeah, say. It's, it's beautiful, but you know, it's kind of out there, isn't it? Yeah, they're not going to be selling a lot of these, you know. Hence why they're probably building them in California. Yeah. So, we, last but not least, we have a couple of MacBook Airs. Still no Retina displays, unfortunately, but we do have the new Haswell Intel processors. So, much better battery usage. Mm -hmm. So, now the 11-inch gets, well, up to 9 hours, and the 13-inch up to 12 hours. Yeah, I think it was the Lord of the Rings re uh, reference that really kind of sold people on it. I mean, I remember reading laptop reviews years ago where they're saying, you know, if you can sit down with this laptop and watch one Lord of the Rings movie, then you know it's good, battery-wise. And now you can watch the whole trilogy, apparently. So look how far we've come, battery-wise. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's slightly faster, particularly with GPU performance. It's got AC Wi-Fi support now. Uh, and apparently... From what the tweets I've read, the hard drive is stupidly fast. Right. And talking of hard drives, the 64 gig model is now the 128 as standard, and obviously that's that's essentially a price reduction as well, so that's 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 nice as well. Yes, I think 64 gigs isn't a great deal of space, is it, <laughs> to do anything no. with? So no, yeah, no, that's, that's good to see they've got rid of that and replaced it with the 128 standard. Yeah, so mm. uh, not a great deal of change, but enough internally to... Keep it relevant and up to date. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can get, just clicking around on the site now, I mean, you can get a pretty well specced one for a thousand quid plus that now. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's a shame it's an i5. Oh, no, that's an i7, actually. Ooh. I think the um, the interesting thing is about what this says about Haswell, because, of course, Haswell is the thing that everyone's expecting to save in inverted commas Windows 8. And if um, it is the case that effectively you can get this sort of horsepower for that long out of this sort of device. That does mm. bode well for um, for the, the Windows tablet slash hybrid. The people are pitching that as an idea, at least. So 
Well, if you don't mind, Matt, let's finish on that. You've had some experience with Windows RT. Yes, I have, yes. So I've got a feeling this is going to be quite negative. But what did you make of Windows RT? Um, I think the big problem with Windows RT is that, as we've seen in the V1 that came out last year, it was just too unfinished. Um, Surface was... Uh, it 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 just it just doesn't work. RT is not an iPad competitor. It's just a broken version of Windows. Um, yeah. Conversely, Surface Pro I think is actually a pretty decent um, quote unquote laptop. And it it's, it's but of course it would be because you know you've ended, you've got an organisation which knows more about the PC than any other organisation has gone out of its way to to build the best PC and they've built something fantastic. What they haven't been able to do is say actually we need to do a cut down version to build an iPad out of it. So I think. RT, RT is interesting. I just don't think it's ever going to get any play because as soon as, as soon as the market starts getting swamped in full-on Windows tablets, people will just buy those. And you know, in, instead of laptops, I think I don't think it's going to dent um, iPad or or classic post PC tablet sales much. But yeah, not not only that, from, but from a consumer point, I don't know why they even made the distinction because. Consumers, I don't know, RT, what's with that? What's with the name? I don't know. I know. It, it, <laughs> it, just, really, it doesn't need to exist. <laughs> no, no, no. It's kind of a crazy, really crazy thing, actually. Yeah. So do you think they could quite happily ditch RT at this point? Uh, I, I don't think they ever would. I don't think anyone would miss it if they did. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's... it's it would be forgotten about quickly. That's exactly the way to put it, yes. Yeah. Well, with Haswell processors, maybe the Pro version, which has full-blown Windows on it, is going to become cheaper and cheaper as time goes anyway, which is going to make the need for these low-powered RT versions even less required, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah, there isn't really... The argument for RT was relatively thin. Well, the, the... there's sort of an argument that says the whole point, the only point in doing Windows RT and Windows on ARM was to uh, basically give, for Microsoft to give Intel a massive slap around the head. Um, and that seems to have worked because Haswell seems to work. Uh, if Apple can make it work, I presume other people can make it work. And maybe that was all Windows on ARM was ever about, just facing up to Intel and making them toe the line in terms of being less dependent on mains power and being able to work well with battery. Well, it's been an interesting Monday with so many announcements and releases. Xbox One and PlayStation 4 is going to be quite an epic battle, and I still don't think it's completely clear if we're going to see a winner. So thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. So thanks to Matt. Thank you very much. And to Chris. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you next time on the Game and Gadget Podcast.